Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast where Jordan and I talk about the global monetary system. Let's go. This week's episode of, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, let's restart. Okay. I was going to do a joke. No, we're cut nothing. <laughs> I was going to say this week's episode of the podcast is brought to you by nobody because we, <laughs> we, we haven't monetized this yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome back, guys. <clears throat> welcome. Welcome. It's been another episode week. Episode number two. If you're, if you stuck around this long, you are a true fan we appreciate you so <laughs> yeah okay so yeah a, b- a big week uh big topic this week that i want to talk about um yeah so it's sort of the there's been a lot going around recently about this it's, it's um a lot of people are talking about it and i mentioned it last week so i feel a little behind the curve because i was like we should have talked about it last week but um Better late than never. Uh, so I'm teasing it. We're going to talk about Bretton Woods in the monetary system. Um, hopefully it's not too boring. Um, I find it to be extremely fascinating myself. So I'm going to try to make it uh, fun. Cool. Yeah. Let's just start with, let's just start with like, what is this thing? Cause I did a little bit of research. Like we talked a, lot, a little bit about uh, off, off air but just kind of give us a brief summary of like what, when, when you say that, what do you mean by that? Okay. So Bretton Woods, right? So what we're really talking about here is the global monetary system. And what it comes down to is like, is um, defining or like um, it comes down to what is being used as money. And so people um, in our spheres you know they think of like a u.s dollar they think that is money um but that hasn't always been the case and you know that's people in other places in the world don't necessarily see the u.s dollar as money um so it, it really all comes down to like this concept of what is money um and and where is money going mm. uh, yeah but broadly speaking, everyone or most developed countries still kind of peg, even if they don't use U.S. dollar, they still kind of peg their their currency to the U.S. dollar, generally speaking, right? That's right. So <clears throat> the U.S. dollar has hands down the largest network effect of any monetary instrument uh, ever, probably. Well, gold for a while. But let's, okay, so let's take a step back, though. So... What we're really talking about is a global monetary system, which is extremely important, especially in today's world, because um, if you like, even if you if you look at what's going on in Eastern Europe right now, obviously there's a kinetic war, but um, what is new about what's about the current geo, geopolitics is that the monetary system is being used as a weapon. Um, of course, this isn't like 
strictly new, like ever since wars existed, people, um, it's always been a strategy to try and essentially starve your opponent. So you can mm-hmm. think of like blockades or you're trying to reduce their supplies. The difference here is that now we live in a digital age. And so, um, we can, we can essentially, uh, like the, the weaponization of, of finance is, is, is totally different and it's much, it's on a much larger scale. Um, you would say globalization has also like made this a really unique moment in time, right? Because the last time, like even just take the nineties when the cold war ended, we weren't nearly as globalized as we are today in terms of like commerce and trade, right? Correct. I would say globalization and, and the internet. So communication, digital communication networks. Those are, those are the two things that are, are new here. Um, there's two resources that I can share with people. I post them on my Twitter all the time. So if you just follow my Twitter, you'll find it. Um, there was a podcast with um, Luke Groman on things that make you go, hmm. Uh, that was sort of a bombshell podcast where he, so like I'm a software engineer. I'm not really going to be able to explain, do, do, do this really, really do this justice. Um, I, 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 I aim to try and get people interested in it. And I think that uh, if you, if you go to these resources, that's, a, this is where the real cheddar is. Um, and then there's a, an article that Arthur Hayes published last night, actually, do you, uh, Jordan, do you actually know who Arthur Hayes is? No, I saw you tweet that out. I saw that this morning and I read a little bit about it. Um, but no, I'm not familiar with, with his work. Okay. So a little tangent here, cause this is really interesting too. Arthur Hayes is like an OG crypto guy. Okay. Okay. So he's been around for, for quite a while. Um, I don't know his full story to be honest, but he's, he's very important. Um, and he, he actually, I think he co-founded BitMEX, which hmm. was a, uh, an exchange. I don't know if there's still an exchange. They still do some things. I don't really know for sure. <clears throat> they actually, <clears throat> excuse me, they got in trouble with SEC recently. And so like they had like a $200 million fine or something. Anyway, wow. all that to say he is, he's been around the block and he, uh, he has seen some things. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so anytime that Arthur Hayes writes something, read it. Trust me. Okay. It. it is because it's high signal. Um, the guy, the guy, it's it's very high signal. Um. Okay. So so he he published something on Bretton Woods last night as well, and then Nick Carter was actually on what Bitcoin did yesterday, talking about it as well. Um, hmm. Luke Groman was on like I said, things that make you go, hmm, but he was also on a number of other podcasts. The point is this thing on that podcast, things, things that make you go, hmm, is that what you're saying? Things that make you go, hmm, HMM. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I know it's kind of a weird name. It's all good. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, so this is like a really important topic. I think that people need to know what's going on here because, um, it's just like, it's, it's really elucidating. Like it opens your, your mind to, to something, to, to the, the bigger pieces being played here, like that on the chessboard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I've, have I teased it enough? Are you excited about this? I'm very, I am very excited. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even if you're, 
like uh, I was listening to a podcast, just more of a politics podcast yesterday that was just talking about, you know, a lot of a lot of debt service was was actually due yesterday for for Russian Russian um, banks, I guess. And essentially, these investors were getting paid back in rubles, which means their investment has gone to crap. You know, they so so I it all kind of ties in, right? Of like the investors, I'm sure, wanted to get paid back in USD, but the Russians were like, "Well, we're just going to pay you back in rubles." which is not, you know, it's just, it just creates this, it creates like a debt crisis, right? Where. Yeah. That's what this is. The debt crisis. Yeah. Um, So I'm interested in this because there's so many moving pieces. And then there's also kind of like the game of who teams up with who, right? Whether it's like Saudi Arabia or Iran or Russia or Europe, U S like there's so many moving pieces and um, I mean, in a way, it's scary, but it's also very interesting from a problem solving and negotiation kind of standpoint. So, no, I'm hooked. I'm ready. Yeah. And I'll say that I think that there is a, a, an, uh, an alarming possibility that within the next six to 12 months, the world will see a financial recession like it's never seen before. Um, now I'm not saying that that's likely, but I'm saying that the, the likelihood of that happening is there's a lot of alarm bells going off all across the world right now. Right. Um, and it all goes back to this topic that we're talking about. So, um, you know, like I tweeted out maybe three or four weeks ago prior to really all of this chaos, I was like, I was like, man, something just doesn't, doesn't feel right right now. Like something's about to break. And, um, so like really knowledge is your weapon. So like you, you having awareness and knowledge into the system enables you to, to gain financial independence and financial freedom. So, um, yeah, I'm just a little bit afraid that the next year things are going to get really, really bumpy. So that was like the only, the first thing I, when I opened up Arthur's post, it was like, I think it was like second paragraph, right? Right. Where he says, what does he say? Um, I'm 100% certain that there will be a financial crisis of epic proportions predicated on losses faced by commodity producers and traders who touch every aspect of the globalized financial system. Yeah. So yeah. what I did this morning, because I actually had just listened to Lynn Alden on her investment strategy. And so I had put some money into commodity producers so literally just this morning, I placed a sell order on all my commodity producer stocks. And I pretty much, I've gone heavy into cash now, which I don't know, so, not investment so, advice, but but I just read that this morning and literally <laughs> I was like, I don't know, everything just feels too funny. I need to get out of yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. And so. so that's really, that's good. That's interesting because like, it's interesting that you went into cash, right? Because- right what we'll discover throughout this, this conversation is that cash is actually at the root of the problem. But at the, right. but at the same time, the way that these recessions likely play out is you have a massive drop in just broad valuations across commodities, equities, everything. And yeah. what, that, what that means is the value of cash spikes up and at which point you can, you know, quote unquote, buy the dip. 
Right. Um, so, so yeah, you know, it's like, um, I, I don't, it's not like, you know, like he says, there's a hundred percent certain there's going to be financial crisis of epic proportions. I mean, <laughs> if anybody says there's a hundred percent of these things, like you should be, you should be skeptical. Mm-hmm. But the, the, me- the real message here is that the likelihood is alarming and that's what has people spooked. So, hmm. okay, let's okay, talk. So break it down. Yeah. Break it down for us. What, what happened? Cause it looked like something happened towards the end of February that kind of made all this trigger, right? That's right. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about the history of money. Okay. So for thousands of years, the primary the primary money was gold. The reason why gold it was the primary value is because or the primary um, instantiation of money was that gold has a set of properties that most align with the market demand for money. Namely, uh, it can't be inflated. I mean, it, you can dig more out of the ground. The inflation rate is relatively um, fixed. Um, it also <clears throat> doesn't it's a good store of value because it doesn't tarnish over time. So for example, silver over time actually tarnishes. So you're um, at the molecular level, you are losing value. Um, there's another, another number of other reasons, but yeah. Indestructible. All the gold that's ever been mined is still in existence today, which you, you kind of touched on with the tarnish. Um, yeah. So it holds its value over time. The issue was, it doesn't hold its value over, over space, or it's uh, the word saleable, saleable, right? Yeah, the saleable pro- over space, right? The problem the with, issue. yeah, the, the the downfalls of gold are twofold. First off, it's it's not really practical to use as a medium of exchange because um, the 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 value is very dense, and so like if you wanted to pay for coffee with gold, you would be paying with gold shavings. Um, and then, so basically like moving gold across space is very difficult and it's not very efficient. And then furthermore, gold is expensive to custody. And so you, in order to secure a huge vault of gold, you have to literally build Fort Knox, okay? Um, which is extremely expensive. And that's um, just to custody, that's not to move it. It's that's, really just to, that's just to let it sit still and do nothing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> the important thing here is that gold was selected by the free market. It was, it was voluntarily selected. It wasn't like there was a monarch somewhere saying gold is money. That's not what happened. The, hu- hu- the human race selected gold because it most fit these properties. That's very important. Hmm. Okay. So now let's let's go back to 1944 or 45 i forget which after world yeah, war II. 44 yeah okay after world war ii there's something called Bretton woods which is a hotel or something up in new hampshire or vermont i forget it's a you ever seen the shining no oh man okay well, in, the shi- <laughs> in the shining there's like this big hotel and it's okay. like it's like in the mountains you know uh anyway the Bretton Woods kind of reminds me of the shining it's weird uh, um anyway so there's this place where basically the world order came they met and they were like okay 
the world has been decimated by this world war. We have to, um, what's our, what's our monetary system going to look like going forward? So, um, and you're talking about global leaders. This is not just United States leadership, right? Global leaders, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were basically, so the solution was, there was actually two proposals on the table, but the one they went with was basically the U S dollar is a depository note for gold, which means if you have a U.S. dollar, you can go to the Federal Reserve of the United States and say, I want my gold, and they will exchange your, your dollar for your gold. Um, so you could think of it literally just like a paper version of gold, right? And they said $35 an ounce. You know, if you bring us $35, we'll give you an ounce of gold. Um, the world said, well, okay. I think at that time, wasn't it $20? And it wasn't, they didn't bump it to 35 until they did the whole until they did the whole like, hey, it's illegal to own gold, right? Wasn't that in the 50s that they... No, that so you... order, I think it was order 6102, executive okay. order. Is what 6102? Yeah, 6102. Was actually in the 30s by Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Because okay, 30. Okay. It, was actually, it was actually spawned by his New Deal and the... Um, the great depression was actually the reason basically. So the U S government for, for the people who don't know this, the U S government in 1933 literally made it illegal to hold gold. And they said, if you hold gold, you are breaking the law. And so they, they went to everybody and they basically seized all their gold. Now they paid them. They're like, I think it's maybe 20 bucks an ounce or whatever. They're like, here's dollars or whatever. They devalued everyone's pretty much wealth by 40% because I think it, that's those are the numbers of 35 and 20. And I think they got 20 bucks on something that was worth beforehand. It was worth 35. Mm, so they okay. almost halved everyone's wealth overnight, which is sure. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so the U S government basically did that. And as a side note, like the closest thing the United States has ever had to a dictator is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. People don't, people don't really talk about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know i'm just just, yeah. just stating hey, you're just speaking truth that's subjective yeah that seems pretty I, I don't think anybody knows about that honestly so like that gold thing you know and so i think that that's really eye-opening because you think about the united states and people think our country would never do something like that it's like you know go back a little less than a hundred years and that happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Crazy. I know. Um, and then so, the question is the, in my head, the question is, can that happen again? Right. Can they say for Bitcoin? That's where my head went. Yeah. <laughs> when I was listening to a podcast about it. So anyways, we're getting, we'll stay on track though. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of all over the place. I'll say this too. So paper People are like, well, the gold standard, we need to go back to the gold standard. And it's like, well, paper money has a real value, which is that it addresses the, the shortcomings of gold, which is what we discussed as it's not basically good across space is the problem. Um, and so paper claims to gold are, are valuable to the marketplace, right? The problem is, is that 
there's an there's an enormous amount of trust placed into the custodian of the gold that they won't base they will they will maintain peg to the, the number of notes versus the, the amount of gold that they have. This is where you know money printer go burr, right? They can just turn on the money printer, print a bunch of notes. And so basically you have like a tremendous amount of outstanding paper with only a very small amount of gold. And then if anybody ever tries to take physical possession of that gold, then it basically creates an, uh, an insolvency on the bank. Okay, so um, we're kind of all over the place here. So I want to maybe try to try to add some structure here. Um, sure. Let's just, let's summarize some things. There, there is um, a breakdown of the global monetary system, which will likely cause uh, tremendous amounts of volatility in the financial markets in the coming year, maybe more. Um, it's very important in order for us to understand what is going to happen. We need to understand what, how the global monetary system works. Um, and basically there for a long time, the global monetary system was entirely based on gold. For the past roughly 100 years, 70 to 100 years, we've had a global monetary based off of fiat money, which initially was redeemable for gold in 19, and that now we can transition into more history. In 1971, Richard Nixon broke the gold standard. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this here with you, but the um, people don't know this. In 1971, there was the French literally sent a battleship. They sent a battleship to New York City. And they were like, we want our gold. Um, wow. Now, I'm not saying it was like, a, I don't really know the history. It wasn't like a declaration of war. The point is, is there was a battleship there. Okay. Uh, and the next day, Nixon basically closed the gold window and he said, we're not, we're no longer redeeming dollars for gold. So, so he broke the peg. So for the last 50 years, we've been on a system that is strictly based off of paper notes and has no peg to any underlying commodity. So even talk through that, just take that one example. When you're talking about the global monetary system, the U.S. was holding some of France's gold when we were still on the gold standard, quote unquote. That's right. So the, why the were what, they doing that? So um, like, why was France doing that? Or why was France custody, like having the U.S. pretty much be the custody or the custodian of their gold? I don't really know. They're trading and there's just, they keep some with them. And it's, I don't know if, if I have a good answer to that question, but, okay. but basically after world war two, the United States was a powerhouse. Um, and we were basically were able to bend the world order to, to our desire. Um, and so for actually between, between the, the start of Bretton Woods in 1971, um, the United States actually, a lot of the gold that was in the United States got distributed around the world because sovereigns were coming to the United States and um, basically saying, exchanging dollars for gold, right? Like they're like, we want gold. Um, so I should say United, the continental United States 
has a tremendous amount of natural natural resources and has a tremendous amount of natural gold reserves, right? That's all gold rush in the in the 1800s. So the United States just generally as a country has, and still to, to date, has the largest gold reserves of any nation in the world. Um, but in between 1944 and 1971, those gold reserves started to just gradually go down. And so um, you can see how, you know, the United States starts to get a little shaky about that. And we're like, well, actually, wait, we're basically depleting our gold reserves. Um, and that actually still happens today in that we run account deficits. It's just that we don't exchange our gold. We exchange treasuries. Um, so just broadly speaking, ever since really ever since World War II, um, there's been a gradual decline of um, U.S. manufacturing. And so the number one export of the United States primarily is finance, it's finance and technology, which is appropriate for our podcast. <laughs> uh, and some people look at that and they, you know, judge that however you will, however you may, good or bad. That is, that is the way that the world order has been set up in that the U.S. basically consumes more than it produces. And so we run account deficits. Um, yeah. Hmm. So fast forward to now, you know, back then everything was on this gold Pretty much everything was supposed to be backed by gold. Now everything is backed globally just by really a promise. Like all that the U.S. dollar now is is just a promise um, that the U.S. government will continue to function as the global power, and then everyone else around the world they also believe that promise. Right. So. Um... I want to actually get into in this podcast into I want to take a contrarian take against Bitcoin. Um, it's it, it down the road, um, but so but I want to get there. So just remind me to come back to that. Okay. The because so what you're saying is like you know if the money's not backed by gold, what is it backed by? And um, you could make a number of claims. It's backed by this or it's backed by that. So people say like it's backed by the U.S. military. It's backed by the U.S. the trusts. Um, really, it's backed by um, it's backed by the credit markets. And so, um, credit is an interesting thing. Like it, credit has real value to 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 the to economies in that it can pull pro productivity forward in time. So you can borrow from the future, spend it now, and through doing that, you can pull productivity forward. And um, when you have a fiat currency that isn't pegged any commodity, you can you have more. Uh, levers in your on your machine that is the credit markets and so you can um you can be more agile in how you in how you um operate the credit markets so so basically what's happening today is the u.s has not been basically the credit rating of the U S is has dropped below a threshold that the 
the the rest of the globe was com- is comfortable with. And so basically the rest of the world today is saying um, we're not okay with the credit rating of the United States of America, right? Yeah. Which is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. And then couple that with just low the the way they've been able to do all the de- all the credit and all the debt is through all these the interest rates are at zero right i guess as of yesterday they're not anymore but essentially you were able to borrow from the future and do so f- free it's it's more or less free for the government right and you know i guess we should touch on cuz there has been some good that's come of this which we've talked about you know when when we're offline been able to like what you said kind of pull pro- productivity forward and we get you know we get all this technology that i'm sitting around right now we got this because we were able to pull it um from the future into the present whereas if we would have stayed on the gold standard it would have taken a lot longer to do this right um, you know you think so you don't know for sure but that's the idea right because you can't you can't say for sure if right. that would have happened right but the right. idea but that's the idea there there is a value to credit is, is the point even with even if bitcoin was the global reserve currency you would still the market would still demand functioning credit markets um, it's just that with bitcoin it would enforce a level a higher level of credibility which um that actually means like less, it's actually worse for the consumer in some ways because the consumer doesn't have easy access to credit, right? Um, so some more historical context. In the 70s, there, the United States experienced quite high inflation, right? This is the highest inflation we've had since the 70s. The, federal, the chairman of the Federal Reserve at the time was Paul Volcker. Um, Paul Vol- you hear this phrase, Paul Volcker broke the back of inflation. Um, and basically what it, inflation was running at seven or 8% uh, back in, back in the seventies or some, maybe even higher. I don't really know, to be honest. And Volcker basically induced a significant recession in order to break the back of inflation. And the way he did that was he spiked interest rates to like 20% or something. I mean, something, yeah. something crazy, which I mean, tech, uh, that's what the Russians just did and the Russian central bank. And actually today or yesterday, the uh, Brazil central bank hiked their interest rates to like 11.25% because they're experiencing inflation worse than we are. Um, So, so, okay. So in the seventies, Volcker broke the back of inflation through inducing a recession. And when he did that, he, he, what he was doing was he was basically sacrificing the U S economy um, in order to preserve the global economy. Um, like he was basically saying, we'll take the beat. It's, you know, it's going to suck for us, but we'll do it for everybody else because the U S dollar was a global reserve currency and the world depended on it. Now come 2008 global financial crisis, you have Ben Bernanke, who's the, the, the chairman of the federal reserve. And basically the, he does the inverse. So he basically says, forget the world. We're saving America. And um, like one of my favorite quotes from The Big Short, the movie, great movie, by the way, uh, 
is um, one of the like the younger guys from the, the who had the shop out of Colorado. He says like this is the end of capitalism. And I don't think people really realize that um, the global financial crisis is like still impacting us today to some extent, and um, we've never really truly recovered from it. Um, I think you can make an argument that's the case. So anyway, so. So yeah, so Ben Bernanke basically said, you know, we're going to protect the U.S. U.S. economy, and we're not, we don't really care about the global economy. And of course, now look at all the geopolitics. You see this like heightened isolationism. Um, people are like saying things are going to deglobalize. I have opinions on that as well. Um, but all of that to say that the moves after the global financial crisis. Um, we sacrificed the world to, to preserve the U.S. economy. And now the world is basically like, okay, well, we're not going to play your game anymore. Like, that's just not, if you're, if you're going to screw us like that, we're not going to play your game. That's what's happening. Yeah. And then fast forward to COVID-19, like you could probably argue even prior to the pandemic happening, we were already in such, just such financial mess for the U.S. with really no, no turning back. Right. And like really no good solution to fix it without just an abundance of pain. Um, and then you introduced the pandemic where they printed, what was it? They printed like six or 7 trillion, six, six trillion, yeah. six trillion. And, um, so yeah, it, the future feels grim right now, I would say. <clears throat> yeah. The, um, there's, there's pro there's, there's different ways to, to think about this. Um, the, the unfortunate thing is that we can't realistically. So right now we have 7.9 inflation, 7.9% inflation. And, um, that causes a lot of volatility in the financial markets because bondholders, people who are holding the debt are losing, losing value over time. And, uh, that's not good. So. And the reason for that is because the interest that they're making on their debt is not keeping up with the inflation, the inflation, right? Because debt is denominated in dollars. And so if you took out, a, if you provided a loan for a hundred dollars, 10 years ago, but now $100 only buys you $200 worth of goods or, or yeah, 50, 50, yeah. Then um, you're, you're, what you're being paid back, the principal is no longer as good for the initial value, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and the bond market is like way bigger than the equity market. And so really the bond market, all the moves in the bond market is what, um, that's where all the liquidity is. So. There, so, so there for was that reason people would be not, wouldn't be taking out, or uh, I guess you wouldn't be lending, right? Because you're like, well, I'm not going to make my money back on this. That's right. And then yeah. couple, and then tell me if this is different. I mean, it does, it feels like it does the same thing. But then when Powell yesterday says we're raising interest rates and we're probably going to do it a couple more times at least this year, that also in a different way says, well, I'm not going to. Well, I guess on the other end, it'd be on the borrower side. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to take out a loan 
So you've got both parties pretty much saying, I'm not going to engage in this debt. Because it's no longer credible. Like the whole system is no longer credible. Right. So, um, and and furthermore, like if you raise interest rates, it, it, it drops the value of the valuation of everything else. And so um, like the mortgage, the value of the real estate market will go down. The value of equities will go down. That everything is really dependent upon that interest rate. Um, and so if they, if they continue to hike it, Powell says he's going to hike it seven times this year. Um, I think, I think he has more leeway than people think he does, but seven seems a bit of a stretch. Uh, like, I don't know. I think he could probably hike maybe four or five times, but any more than that, good luck. Um, cause yeah, everything is dependent upon that interest rate and, um, and all the while, Congress is still talking about spending more. See, this I is think the that's the craziest thing to me. This is the problem. The root, the root problem is politicians basically don't have any sense of austerity. Zero, none. The goal of a politician is to, can, is to can lever up as high as they can. It's like to, to them, they want to spend as much money. And this is across the aisle. Okay. This isn't Republican right. or Democrat. This is everybody. This is just That's the incentive, right. incentive structure. Um, and okay. So this is where, really where the brass tax comes in. The brass tax is that you can't actually raise interest rates very far because our, our overall debt to GDP is, is, so, high, is so high. So I think the number is like if you hike interest rates to, like 1%, maybe 2%, then the interest payment. So, you know, if you have like a, a mortgage, you're paying it, you know, a few hundred bucks a month, you're just lighting on fire because it's going to interest, right? The interest, if we raise interest rates to one or 2%, the interest payment alone would absorb like a third of all tax receipts. So a third of our tax dollars would just be lit on fire basically, right? Because it's paying the interest. Um, and that's okay. only if you go to 1%. If you go higher than that, like I mean, say you try to take the um, the, the uh, 70s approach. Yeah. I mean, it all collapses, right? There's, everything you, everything collapses. You'll be They'll be lucky to get north of 2%. If they go north of 2%, everything will break in my opinion. Um, hmm. And then like compare it to, you know, like you see Brazil raised rates to like, you know, 12%. They, you know, you can do that if your debt, if your debt to GDP ratio is lower, but ours is too high. Um, so basically I've just painted this whole picture to, to, to explain that we're in a giant debt bubble. There's a tremendous amount of debt in the system and basically the underlying commodities, the underlying real resources in the world are very small relative to this massive debt bubble. Okay. Um, and so you're going to have a massive, like everybody's, it's like everybody's running to the door and they're trying to find, they're trying to buy as many commodities as they can really, because, because the debt, uh, it's just too big. Yeah. Okay. So that's been kind of doom and gloom. I want to, I want to take the other side, um, because I don't think that this gets enough recognition. And I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but I'm going to try. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really, I haven't really talked to anybody about this. So this will be like a first. So this is part of me, like trying to figure this out myself. Okay. Um, 
I think that what people, I think that this whole conversation of like, um, pegging money to commodities and like considering what the real, real world resources are. I, I frankly think that it is a slightly archaic, um, outlook. <laughs> now bear with me, bear with me. Um, I, I think that, I think that the, we are, we're in a world today, especially I have, I'm like firsthand, you, you and me both are kind of in this world that it's not like I am out there building houses or engineering skyscrapers, or I work in the information space. Okay. So what is the value of that? Okay. Let me ask you that question, right? Like, how do you put a value? There's no commodity value on, on, on what I do. Okay. There is no real physical resource. I say that because not to say that what I do is not a value. I think that what I do is of high value. And, and if you think the same, then you have to accept that not all value goes back to is based on commodities. It's not, um, the, the, in my opinion, the, the future of financial systems, the, the correct metric to watch, um, to base everything off of basically is income. It's labor actually. Um, so it's tricky because, um, Well, you know, I've, so I've gone on, I've gone down this deep rabbit hole of stability recently, right? I think I've told you some about this and what I've come to find is that I think that the, the most useful measure of economic capacity is an individual's income. So the income is what drives is that's, that's the, that's the most accurate representation of what that individual is is uh, able to contribute to the economy, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so where is this this going? The reason why we have high inflation, frankly, is because the Federal Reserve maximized the employment mandate over the past two years. Um, That was, so the Federal Reserve has two mandates, two official mandates. The first mandate is price stability, the second mandate is maximum employment. Um, and then they have a third mandate that's like not official, which is like, don't let the stock market crash. <laughs> but uh, we could talk about that some other time. Um, but so I don't think people really put enough value in that second mandate, which is the employment maximization. Um, now, some people will say that, I, I actually will be of the opinion that it's not about... Um, uh, maximizing employment. That's not what it's about. I think that's uh, false. What it's about is um, stabilizing employment. Um, so, so really, well, I, think, I think for, um, for politicians, I mean, it's just been forever that the more jobs, the better, right? And now we're, we're slowly and it might quicken, but like we're moving into this world now where, job the number of jobs will just inevitably decrease yes and it seems like there's nothing that we can do about that 
Correct. Uh, outside of just government coming in and saying, we're killing all innovation. We're, we're not doing that anymore. We're, you know, yeah. Tesla yeah. do not try to come up with the self-driving semi truck. We don't want it outside of that jobs will inevitably decrease. And that's literally one of our, like the mainstay of the whole system, right? Is more jobs is, is good. Right. Um, exactly. We've got to flip it in our head. It's like, no, less jobs is good. Well, so it's not about more jobs or less jobs, in my opinion. It's about, um, it's about stability is what it's about. Because frankly, some people get in the way, okay? And, the, and they, they, they negate, the, their, their, their contribution negates value from, from the system. And so for the system to be stable, we don't want those people to participate. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We want that to happen. That's a good thing. And then the other side of the coin is also true in that some people are just naturally contributors. They, they, they contribute value. We want those people contributing value. So what it's about, it's not about, you know, we want everybody to have jobs or we don't, we don't want everybody to have jobs. It's about finding that equilibrium somewhere. Right. Um, and so, and some people get hung up on like, so like Kathy Wood and Ark's whole shtick is like um, innovation doesn't necessarily steal jobs. It just creates new jobs. I think that's also true, right? It's not that it's not that like we are just getting rid of all jobs. It's that jobs are evolving. But I do think that broadly speaking, um, there is going to be a trend just through technological innovation where less labor is needed um, for the for like basically that equilibrium will will just naturally shift towards not needing as much labor, right? Um, yeah. So this is, that's, that kind of goes, or it makes me think of Jeff Booth's book, the price of tomorrow and how, how our economy is set up right now. And even you can say the global economy is set up on this, like almost manufacturing type of model where the more jobs, the better, the more you can produce the better. And now that we've got tech to do so much prices should just be coming down in general and wages really should kind of follow that like yes. instead of you saying oh i really want to i made a hundred thousand dollars this year but next year i really want to make 150 right it's like no you should probably shoot for like 95 but in our head we're so like we're, we're so, so trained. Finished. We're we're trained to think, you know, I want more money, more money, more money. Right. Um, but that's not the, but to your point, like there's another side of the equation, which is like, well, you can also just have the same amount of money if it buys a lot more. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea and all that to say this whole like inflation thing and like the state of the economy I will say that the world, unfortunately, is going to be extremely volatile over the next decade, probably. Emerging markets probably going to get absolutely crushed. That's an, that's an unfortunate reality. I don't know. It could that could, I could be wrong. I could. I mean, I'm just a software engineer. Okay, don't don't shoot me. But um, but I think that if you look at the world through this lens that I'm describing of where income is the the metric to watch, then inflation is a feature. It's not a bug. 
now on a, this is a sort of like a pragmatic hand wavy explanation, but think about United States citizens specifically in order for every worker in the United States today should be going to their employer if they haven't already and being like, I, I needed at least an 8% raise because there's been 8% inflation. Okay. So um, let's say that that happens. We've, we've, you know, maximized employment. Then um, what that says actually is that the, the capacity, the product pr productive capacity of the United States is actually quite high. And that's why you'll, you'll hear Fed yesterday and FOMC was saying the economy is booming. And I think that there's an argument to be made that that's actually the case. Now, it's not black or white. I don't know. Um, I'm obviously of the opinion that I think that they are a little in over, in over their boots or in over their skis, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> uh, but, but I just wanted to, I wanted to say all that because if you, if you just focus on a lot of the technicals here or like the, the history, it looks like a very um, concerning and scary time, but don't get caught up in too much of that because there are very smart people in a lot of places that um, do know what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> the problem is, do those people, they, do they actually, do they actually have enough power to pull the, the correct levers? Like that's always been my issue. If there's 10 people in a room, there's one really smart person, but there's nine idiots. Most of the time the idiots are going to win just because out of like brutal, you know, majority, majority rule. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's transition now to like, that's the signal. Those are some thoughts of like, this is what people are saying. And then I think we talked about like, it was with you, right? The knowledge leads, leads to action. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was last yeah. week. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's, I think that's a good theme for our show in general, right? Is like, we've, we just tackled a little bit of the knowledge now, now I think everyone who's listening to this is thinking to themselves, this is interesting. I didn't know some of these things, but now what? Right. Mm, mm -hmm. And obviously none of this is investment advice. You, you're all this is on, <laughs> on you and the listener to make your own decisions. But I think, um, yeah, maybe just talk about what, and I can talk about what I'm thinking too. What are some strategies? Yeah. Yeah. For pretty much hedging against volatility that is coming down the down the pipe right so there's two things that i'll highlight first off we already touched on it which is that during times of um high recessions so like in a recessionary shock you want to have cash so i encourage like or i should say this i am personally i over the past six months i have slowly rotated into a fairly substantial cash position because there is a possibility that the whole system goes down overnight. And in that scenario, I want to have cash to, to buy the dip. That's one thing. The problem with that is that the cash is also inflating at 8% a year. Okay. So I'm taking a negative 8% carry just by holding that cash. So you can only do that for so long. Um, it's, it's a really short term, short term thinking, frankly, but it's a hedge that I'm personally doing. The other thing is commodities. So the, the name of the game here, and if you read Arthur Hayes, the full, the full article, um, 
Also, Zoltan, Zoltan Posner, I think is his last name. He, oh, yeah, he plugged. Yeah, he plugged that in. I saw Arthur plug that, I think. Yeah, so Z- a little bit of background here because this is fun. Zoltan is um, one of the most highly respected uh, like credit uh, analysts in the world. He works at Credit Suisse, which is a Swiss bank. It's one of the biggest banks in the world. Swiss, okay. Just let me, let me highlight that, Swiss. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he came out with a piece about two weeks ago, which um, like his words are, commodity is collateral and collateral is money. Um, and he talks a lot about what we've talked about today on like, where's the new world order going to settle? So long-term, what's what i'm thinking is that it's weird it's like i want to have a cash position enough to where sorry one sec did you hear that yeah yeah a little bit okay um, i want to have a cash position large enough to like buy the dip but i also don't want to have it uh, i also want to basically take the other side of the pl- the coin and have like a commodity type of exposure and specifically what that looks like for me is bitcoin and gold so those two yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. That's me. It's interesting. Yeah, I would say I would say very similar. Um, like I'm selling in if it's not sitting in a retirement account, I'm trying to hold it in cash or Bitcoin. And I'm probably a little too heavy on Bitcoin right now, but I don't care. I just sat down with my financial advisor yesterday. He scolded me for my decisions, but He's also a no coiner. So I have to take everything he says with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, um, so that's one thing I was, I was actually speaking to a group of real estate agents um, yesterday. And, and I'll, I'll reiterate that one point that I made there here. And that is like in these times, while I know that the U S government would, would say, spend your money, we need to keep the economy going. I would look at all of you and say, if you're not on a really strict budget, I would say at least consider, um, at least consider trimming your spending um, just in terms of being able to stack more cash commodities. And um, even, you know, even my, my, what we were talking about when we were down in Florida um, earlier this month, when we were like, Oh yeah, I'm living like a king and and that's great and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've even yesterday, I pretty much, I trimmed a lot of stuff. I canceled a lot of like reoccurring things that were coming out and essentially trying to really um, make sure I'm maximizing my savings rate every month um, just because everything feels so uncertain. So I would say if you're not already serious about that, or if you have, like for me, I have been serious about that before. And I would say in the past year or so, I've been a lot less serious about that, but I'm kind of pivoting back towards maybe let's be more serious about it for a time and just and kind of just see where everything lands. Um, so, and yeah. we've talked about yeah. that, right? Kendall, like think there's just, just, different seasons sometimes you go really hard with the budgeting sometimes you can really just say whatever that's right and so i would say right now as we're moving into what feels crazy like i don't know when we were in down in naples i think that was like with the first like week of the war yeah was while we were down there and so 
Yeah, a lot of things have changed this month. It's crazy. It's only the seventeenth. It moves. Um, it moves fast. It's like the quote. It's like there are, there are decades where nothing happened, and there are weeks where decades happen, or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so to to your point, I totally agree. Right now is the time to pay attention. Um, now, you every individual has to figure out for themselves what the moves, what the specific moves that they need to make. Um, but the most important thing in my opinion, is to pay attention because there's a lot happening right now. Hmm. Yeah, so everyone go go read that article. We can post that in the in the description, yeah. right? A link yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give that a read this afternoon. Because, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think there, and I know because I talked to a lot of people about their financial situation, just given my work. And I know there's a lot of you out there who don't think about these things and that's fine for most times, but I would say for right now, you really need to kind of dig in and ask some really hard questions. Um, especially if you're in risky positions in general, and then also depending on your age um, and, and how long until you would need to actually tap some of these, some of these um, buckets of wealth. So. Yeah. Shall we end it there? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good ending spot. This is a heavy episode, guys. Well, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> been a wild happier. week. I mean, I'm just like kind of exhausted to be honest. And it's like, it's just like, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Plus you're not wearing green today. So what does that have to do with it? Oh, it's St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> oh, man. I had someone remind me this morning on my first, on the first call. So um so you still have time to change the good thing is we both kind of work from home so it's different than if you go into an office and people are pinching you and stuff i feel like you get you wouldn't be able to pinch people anymore though yeah for a lot of reasons for various political reasons (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll end it there happy happy saint patrick's day everyone